0: Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up.
1: What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we're going to welcome in the Giants perspective from John Schmelk. He does radio and podcasts for the Giants Podcast Network up there in New York. Plus, we'll hear from the assistant coaches and pick the Week 5 games in the National Football League. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast.
2: My head, God,
1: As we do every single Thursday, let's kick off this episode with my guest, the Giants perspective, John Schmelk. Joining me today for our crossover for the Giants perspective for this week five game down here at Hard Rock Stadium is the host of On the Giants podcast network. He does pre and post both radio and podcast with the New York Giants. He is John Schmelk. Almost got it wrong there, John. John, thank you for your time today. Appreciate you coming in here with us. Travis, happy to do it, man. How's it going down there? going pretty good uh i know that as the weather turns poor for most places around the country this time of year it starts to get nicer for us in terms of not melting so that's always a very welcome sight although sunday should be a nice little sweat box down here uh for the traveling giants and the giants come into this game at one and three and on these podcasts john i always start at the quarterback position because where else would you start and daniel jones was a pretty big Uh, storyline this offseason, getting the big contract extension. And like, I know it's been tough going for the offense with the sacks piling up the last couple of weeks, but coming off a year last year where Jones played good enough ball to earn that contract extension, what do you think that he can do to get back to that aside from the surrounding circumstances, i.e. pass protection? Yeah. You know, I
0: think at least last week, especially in the first half, I think you saw the mental toll, the hits he had taken in the first three weeks of the season had kind of you know put on him because even in the first half against Seattle I thought going back and re-watching the All 22 I thought the pass protection was was good enough and I just think there were times where he was a little jittery back there which by the way is understandable given how much he's he's taken a beating over the first three weeks and I just think he needs to make some better decisions you know a lot of his interceptions have been bad luck in terms of you know passes hitting off of players and get knocked in the air and go into defensive back. So I think that number is probably a little bit more inflated based on his level of play, but you know, you just can't make the type of decision and throw he made against Seattle in the fourth quarter when they have it first and goal at the five. And he probably throws it to the wrong player on the play. And he also throws it outside when he should have, should have threw it inside. And that turns into a pick six. And instead of it being potentially 14 to six or 14 to 10, it's 21 to three. And then all of a sudden the wheels fall off and and the the game just becomes a disaster. So, you know, just avoid those type of mistakes. Be a little, try to be more comfortable in the pocket. If you can, you know, if Andrew Thomas and John Michael Schmitz aren't going to play this week, and I'm sure we'll get to that, that's going to make it probably difficult to feel comfortable in the pocket, to be quite honest with you. But I think those are the things he's going to have to do because he's going to have to get the ball downfield a little bit. Last week, the John just had two pass attempts, not completions, attempts, Travis, (laughs) of 10-plus air yards, I mean, it is a really low number. It has to be better than that moving forward if the Giants want to become a more dynamic offense.
1: You sometimes see that for 20-plus air yard throws, right? Those two high shells and sometimes three high shells to prevent teams from taking the the vertical shots they want to. But, yeah, nothing beyond 10 yards besides those two passes was pretty surprising for me to see on that next-gen chart. And you kind of touched on two follow-ups I have here regarding that question and answer, and one of those is the availability of the offensive line. I'm going to put that on the back burner because I want to ask you about you know some of the scenes on the sidelines there with Dable and Daniel Jones and some of the frustration boiling over because you know last year, first year there, Dable arrives and Daniel Jones has his best year as a pro. And again, going back to the contract, he earns that and they put their faith in the quarterback going forward. But when you're winning games, not so much uh test of adversity in terms of trying to overcome that stuff. I just wanted to get your perspective on what you saw play out there in terms of the, that dialogue back and forth, the sideline shots, and how you think maybe they can grow from that and get better from here.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, that's just I think both players, uh both the player and coach being a little frustrated. Brian yeah. Dable. Thought he dialed up the right play. And if you look at it, you know, there might have been an opportunity to get the ball to Waller going towards the back of the end zone there. And I think he was basically showing Daniel Jones what he thought he saw on the tablet. And, you know, he, I think he would, at that point was just frustrated. Um, and you know, he, he basically, you know, tossed the tablet into the lap of Shay Tierney, the 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 quarterback's coach. And look, Brian Dable's an emotional guy. It's gonna happen. There isn't any issue with the relationship. The guys trust each other. Uh Dable and Jones get along really well. Um, I don't see that being an issue I think that's just the heat of the action emotional game type of sideline thing that probably within the team is already forgotten
1: yeah, absolutely I'm sure it's one of those things that kind of makes it, you know better going forward they can have those honest conversations and come back and assess and correct the following day now you mentioned a couple of uh, offensive linemen and their potential ability availability I should say Andrew Thomas John Michael Schmitz and also Shane Lemieux in there as well um My first question is, what do you think we'll see on Sunday in terms of the lineup? And the number two, as far as the pass protection goes, is it as simple as getting your franchise Pro Bowl level left tackle back? Is that going to be something that can get things sorted for them up front? Well, it'll help. I mean, it's been, a you know, he he hurt himself in week one. He hasn't played since. And
0: uh, the pass pro has been disastrous. So, yeah, that would go a long way. Given as of this recording, he has not practiced yet this week. I would say it's not looking great. John Michael Schmitz hurt his shoulder on a quarterback sneak attempt last week. He did not practice on Wednesday. We'll see if he practices on Thursday. But, you know, Ben Bredesen's a veteran. They'll move him from guard to center if Schmitz can't go. You'll probably have Josh Azudu, who they drafted as a guard out at left tackle, which is obviously not what you want. Uh, Veteran Mark Lewinsky will play left guard probably, and Marcus McKeithen, who's a second-year player, will be a right guard with Evan Neal at right tackle. And, look, and I think even more so than the Andrew Thomas thing. I think the right side of the line just has to play better. Evan Neal's been very consistent. Marcus McKeithen has been inconsistent at the start of his career. So I think those two guys just have to be better at, at keeping guys out of the backfield. Uh, but yeah, uh, of course, getting Andrew Thomas back and having John Michael Schmitz healthy, because I do think Bredesen is a better guard than he is a center, uh, would certainly go a long way too.
1: John, you live in a different world than us in terms of the market and how things are covered up there. Obviously, the the New York media can be pretty pretty harsh. And you've, I mean... Whether it's winning or, you know, headlines, it seems to be like there's always something good for the New York sports franchises. These This, uh, this part of, across all sports, right? Football, baseball, basketball. It's, it's been a rough go recently, but um, you get the headlines this week. Obviously the sideline stuff with Jones and Dable, but the Evan Neal stuff, you mentioned his name there. He's kind of been in the limelight as well. I'm just curious if you think all this stuff is... Will it reveal like character in terms of how they respond? Do you think it could potentially, you know, derail them? What do you make of all the noise going on right now and how the Giants potentially respond from all that?
0: Yeah, I would push the sideline stuff away, but I do think, you know, I'm sure Brian Dable has already talked to Evan Neal about what he said. And I don't think there's any problem with players saying I can't concern myself with other people think. I just gotta play my game. You know, that's something that players say all the time. But you shouldn't, you know, take shots at the fan base that pays a lot of money to go see you play and is the reason you have a job because if fans don't go see games, you can't pay players and just go right down the line. So I'm sure Brian Day will have Evan Neal walk that back and he should walk it back because it's something he shouldn't have said. So um, you don't really know the character of a team until they face a lot of adversity and how they deal with it. And this is adversity right now. So I think we're going to see how this team pulls together. Uh, I have faith in the players and the coaching staff that they'll be able to do it. But I think it's something that, you know, we'll see how it develops. Hopefully they'll get a win over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be tough at Miami at Buffalo. But, you know, when it gets tough, that's when you learn about the character and the chemistry and the the togetherness of a group. And I think we'll learn about that over the next few weeks. I
1: think we'll get two hungry teams in this game on Sunday. The Dolphins kind of facing their first bit of adversity with a substantial loss up in Buffalo in a big game against their rival up there. And for the Giants, potentially the return of – I mean, I would say their best offensive player and Saquon Barkley saw him getting some limited work in practice on Wednesday and Thursday. What do you think about his potential availability and what kind of difference can he make if he returns to the lineup?
0: Yeah, I think he has a real chance to play and look, it makes a huge difference because one, I think we've seen, you know, one of the few weaknesses of Miami's defense might be their rushing defense. You know, look at some of the numbers. They aren't quite up there with a lot of the other, you know, stats on both sides of the ball and he's the Giants' most dynamic offensive player in terms of getting the ball in his hands. He can go make something happen. You know, Darren Wall is probably the second name on that list. So, yeah, getting Saquon Barkley back would be a big deal. You look at the numbers in terms of just offensive production, even Daniel Jones's numbers, when Saquon is playing, they all go up as opposed to when he's not. So it would be a huge help, and I think, You know, the Giants aren't an offense that would be able to hang with Miami, you know, if they get to where they usually get in terms of points per game, which is, you know, 37 and a half. (laughs) So I think the Giants would want to dirty this game a little bit, dirty it up, run the football, rely on Saquon Barkley and, and, and try to keep the game in the 20s if they can.
1: Yeah, he's amazing, man. The ability to get back from that injury that was supposed to hold him out for, I don't know, a lot longer than it has apparently, but these guys heal so fast compared to you and I. Let's go ahead and flip it over to the defensive side of the football here and talk about an area that the Giants have been pretty productive this year. Up front, uh, You know, Dexter Lawrence came on, Thibodeau, had a big game on Monday night as well. How have you seen teams kind of attack this defensive line, this pass rush front that wants to send blitzer after blitzer after blitzer? How have teams successfully handled that and teams that have not? Where have been kind of the shortcomings in that regard?
0: Yeah, I mean, they have blitzed a lot. Hey, you're not wrong. They Their their blitz rate against the 49ers on that Thursday night game, for example, was set an NFL record, only be broken by the Vikings on that following Sunday in That's terms right. of blitz rate. It's amazing <laughs> how that goes. Um, and you guys are well familiar with blitzing, given uh, the defensive coordinator you guys used to have up there. You know, they have not been able to get home on the quarterback as much as they would like. You know, teams have gotten the ball out relatively quickly. And I think, you know, the pass rush and the coverage always works hand in hand and the Giants came out this year. And I'm sure you'll get to the corners Started two rookie corners with Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks. They moved the veteran Adoree Jackson inside. They've now put Cordell Flott inside and put a Jackson back outside. Trey Hawkins did not plan a defensive snap last week. So I, my, my guess is that they'll probably go with that again this week. Dexter Lawrence has been getting his normal pressures. Even Leonard Williams, they just haven't, Force quarterbacks to hold the ball long enough for them to get home. And the edge rushers, Azizo Jalari's been hurt. But once he got back last week, he got pressures. Kayvon Thibodeau had his best game of the year. So that should be the strength of this defense. They just haven't been able to put enough production up there and create enough negative plays up front, whether it's tackle for losses or sacks, to really set opposing offenses back.
1: John Schmilk, my guest here on the drive time podcast. You can find him on the Giants podcast network as well pre and post game on radio also up there in the New York area and you know we talk about how this Dolphins how to attack this Dolphins offense you just mentioned the pass rush and that's obviously a key to get too uncomfortable and off of his spot but I think the most important thing we've seen from teams that have had success against this Dolphins offense the last two years is that second level of the defense and those off-ball linebackers and their ability to both play the run and get the depth on those drops take away some of that deep middle of pass, middle of the field passing game the Dolphins love to excel with. Um, how has Bobby Oka Okereke and Isaiah Simmons fit into the folder. I know Micah McFadden plays a lot there, but I look at Okereke and Simmons as two very athletic and long players that can do a little bit of that front and back stuff. How have you seen them impact the game so far?
0: Yes, Simmons has been more of a part-time player since they brought him in. They brought him in at the end of August or beginning of September, maybe even as a, uh, for a for seventh-round draft pick. As someone to help at the linebacker core, they were trying to find uh, that player to put next to Okereke uh, at, at middle linebacker. You know, like, for example, last week, I'm looking at the uh, snap counts right now. Um, Isaiah Simmons played 18 snaps, and that's probably the most he's played on defense so far this year. But that's like 35% of the snaps. That's kind of where he's been. He's been a situational pass rusher, things like that. So I don't think they've really found the perfect role for him quite yet, Um, but O'Kara has been big for them. You know, the Giants defense, one issue they've had this year is tackling. It's been inconsistent. They had one play against Seattle even when Noah Fant got down the sideline, broke a couple tackles, ended up getting the ball down to the one. But other than that play, I thought the tackling was better against Seattle after being frankly poor against San Francisco, Arizona, and Dallas. So that, that's going to have to get a little bit better as they move forward here. And I think O'Kara is a big part of that. He's the guy in the middle that leads the defense, he is sidelined to sideline speed. He can run. He's smart. He had a handful of tackles for loss in the run game against Seattle um, last Monday night. So he's been a huge part of the defense for sure.
1: So you touched on the defensive backs there a little bit because I was looking at the the youth in that defensive backfield Banks and Trey Hawkins and obviously Cordell Flott up there as well. Do you like you you talked about it a little bit, but I just want to kind of get some more in terms of what you expect to see with rotation and also how the safeties kind of impact this game because uh one of the one of the players I spoke to back when he was coming out the same year as Tua was Xavier McKinney, and he talked a little bit about their battles in practice back at Alabama in terms of Tua trying to look him off and him trying to bait Tua into throws. Just curious to see how he kind of you know, drives that defensive backfield, maybe helps from those young guys up front.
0: Yeah. I mean, M- M- McKinney's probably their best defensive back at this point. Um, he hasn't made a ton of plays on the ball in, in his NFL career so far, but he's always in the right spot. He anticipates well. And I think that will be a battle between him and Tua throughout the game where Tua is trying to find that space in the middle of the field that the Dolphins are so good at exploiting and McKinney trying to, to help shut that down. Um, he's tried to help, but look, rookie corners, you know, you know how this works, Travis. Rookie corners, even if you're good, it's rare you're good in your first year. It's just very difficult. Not everyone saws Gardner, right? So Deontay Banks has been solid. You know, he does really good in bump and run. Sometimes he gets a little bit too physical deeper down the field. He's had a couple like a little legal contact penalties. Um, he doesn't get his head around necessarily as, as well as you might like at the catch point. We saw that for that with that DK Metcalf touchdown pass uh on Monday Night Football where Metcalf kind of lulled him to sleep and banks did not anticipate the pass coming. That turned into a touchdown. You know, not playing Trey Hawkins last week was a surprise. There wasn't any sign of that the week prior in terms of what the coaches were talking about. But I would assume, given the defense probably played their best game of the year in week four, we will see the similar uh, setup in the secondary. So you'll have Banks on one corner. You'll have Adoria Jackson on the other. And then when they go to nickel, Cordell Flott will come in and play inside and i imagine the dolphins will probably be you know yeah in 11 most of the time or at least have three wide receivers out there look you guys do use the pullback too so we'll see how that works but i imagine that's going to be the setup so jackson and banks to start and then flat will be the nickel who'll move into the slot when he comes in
1: that's perfect i I always love to look up the opposing defensive backs 40 times and three cone times and how they move because obviously the two guys we have on the perimeter down here uh move pretty well but yeah they're Gosh, his workout numbers were, they blew me away when I looked those up. He was like almost a perfect, uh, almost one of the top DBs of all time in terms of the way they measure you know, the physical traits that he brings to the table. So good stuff there. I end these episodes the same way every time, John. The Giants will win this game if, and then you fill in the blank. They muddy it up. Uh, Saquon Barkley runs for a lot of yards. Um, They
0: keep the the Dolphins under 30 points. Uh, Saquon breaks a couple long ones. The Giants do not have a takeaway. This year, yeah, Travis, they're going to need a couple of those if they want to beat the Dolphins. They're going to have to get a takeaway. And they haven't gotten one yet. They're desperate for one. They're going to have to get one or probably two uh, to beat the Dolphins this week. And then defensively, you know, I-, I think you have to cloud the middle of the field as much as you can. I think, you know, you make two a throw to the perimeter. You don't let them just pepper the middle of the field endlessly, which he's so proficient at and so good at. And I think that's how you do it. You know, the Dolphins' run game is underrated. It's you know they don't have big names, but they're just so effective with the way Mike McDaniel schemes it up. You know, make sure you tackle, muddy the middle of the field, force a couple takeaways, and then run the ball on offense. And I think that's your formula.
1: Good stuff there. I appreciate your time today, John. Why don't you go ahead and tell the folks where they can find you for coverage on Dolphins and Giants Week number five down here at Hard Rock Stadium. Let the folks know where they can find you, John.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Pre-game and post-game on WFN up here in New York. And then our podcast network, you can check out Big Blue Kickoff Live and the Giants Huddle Podcast, which is our two major uh, podcasts we have on our podcast network. Check them out. Just go to the Giants app or search for them on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Travis, I appreciate it. John was playing her today, by the way, guys. Strep throat here doing a podcast with us. Appreciate your time today, sir. And uh, we'll see you out there on Sunday. Sounds good, man. And there he goes. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there. Come back on the other side. Hear from Coach Fangio, Frank Smith, Wes Welker, Austin Clark, all that next Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. If you guys can hear that in the background, there is a practice going on with crowd noise being amplified into the practice. So if you hear that, I do apologize for it. Let's go ahead and pick it up here in segment number two with the assistant coaches we heard from on Thursday. Vic, incredibly brief in this press conference. If you want to check it out, I believe it'll be on the YouTube channel. Just not a lot in there, as well as Coach Crossman and Austin Clark. I wanted to focus on Frank Smith and Wes Welker and start here with Coach Smith because he was asked about Devon A. Chan's understanding of the offense and how he was able to go from an inactive in week one to the NFL's most productive running back the last two weeks so far uh, with Denver and Buffalo games in mind and how that might you know play out over the course of the rest of the season. And he touches on here the work ethic and the way that A-Chan is wired and how he is able to process things and you know the same tropes you hear over and over again, not making the same mistake twice. But I do think it's valid in the sense that you can go back to my chat with Jimbo Fisher or really any, you know, credited draft Nick that did deep dives on player profiles who told you this kid just works, he only knows football, and as Coach Fisher told us, doesn't really worry about going out on Friday nights. He just wants to bury himself in the playbook and the weight room and, and be the best football player he can be. And I think there's a lesson to be learned there when you pair elite athlete with that type of work ethic and that type of mindset. You typically get the correct result of the player. And now, not always, because I distinctly remember I used to be on the Dolphins message boards, Fin Heaven, back in the day. And when Deion Jordan got drafted, I remember that conversation about how he works and how he was always so prepared at Oregon. And it's like, well, he also has these elite physical traits. No way he busts, right? But he did. But with A Chan, hasn't been the case. The the work ethic with the elite level physical skills has turned into one of the most explosive options in the National Football League. And so here's Frank Smith talking about Devon Achan's understanding of the offense and the progress he made from day one back in OTAs to now as one of the leading rushers in the National Football League.
3: You know, when you're in college or as your progression goes through football, high school, college to professional level, it's at first it's always it's just the the volume is less so by the time you get to the NFL you just realize like the mistake a lot of rookies make oh I'll be okay because you remember your last experience the the challenge they get is the volume that comes with it because you know we have more time with them and it's a longer season and a longer whole process towards the first game so uh, with Devon yes but it's all about your approach and how do you handle the process and the volume and you know, how do we as coaches make sure the progression comes out in the right way and so he can grow uh, and develop appropriately? And I think uh, with him, uh, you know, it's not being in a rush of in spring and training camp. You know, it's every failure isn't, you know, an overreaction of why that occurred. You're going, okay, if it was a good result, okay, reinforce the process. If it wasn't the, um, the result we're looking for okay correct the process of you know how are you looking at things what what in your intent made you think to do that and i think that's just been the great thing i know that eric's really worked with them and then you're also learning the conversation and dialogue with your position coach uh with your you know coordinator or the head coach so i think that's just like all rookies that's part of the process and you know how do you accelerate the process Well, it comes into all right their approach their detail how much extra work they put in, all these things that factor in. And, you know, sometimes wide receivers, tight ends are a little harder when we have to move them all over the place where, you know, running backs, obviously there's their natural positions and then there's their external positions. And for him, I I know that all the extra work that he's done with Eric has really helped. And uh, I'll have to start speaking Spanish to him to see if he really does understand it.
1: That Spanish reference there was regards to what something Devon said in the locker room regarding how the offense was at first like lear- learning a new language, like like learning how to speak Spanish, and now it's second nature. Uh, Coach Smith was also asked about the environment in Buffalo and whether or not the crowd noise and the raucous fans there contributed to the Dolphins' inability to get some of their looks they wanted, as well as some of the pre-snap infractions, which were much more substantial this week uh, than they had been the first three games of the season. Here's Coach talking about that, but also the lessons you can learn playing a game like that in a playoff environment early in the season, which I think goes back to what McDaniel has said in the past, right, about how the best the Super Bowl teams typically come from divisions where there's multiple playoff teams because you get those tests early in the season hopefully for Miami this week four game against Buffalo that didn't get the result they wanted can provide dividends down the road here's coach Smith on the hostile environment and how that challenged things for the Dolphins offense communication wise pre-snap motions and pre-snap infractions
3: yeah you evaluate all scenarios for what occurs and um that was game four was a great test for us I mean it was a playoff type environment, you know, and when you can get those early in the season, it's great ability to learn. So uh, what we do and how we operate, I mean, I wouldn't say that, I mean, obviously there's uh, scenarios and situations where we have to, you know, maybe adjust, Um, you know, some of the things that we came out of that game, uh, we feel very confident that we'll be able to, you know, make the corrections going forward. Uh, The hardest thing is when you have the week before you come out from one performance is that. It looks like it's in such contrast, but in reality is there's a couple things that we know we, we can improve on that uh, can allow us to have great growth in the second quarter of the season. And, um, you know, that's what we were really addressing yesterday and going to continue today.
1: Let's get now to wide receiver coach Wes Welker, who was asked about the parallels of using different sports in wide receiver release drills. We've heard the legend about Mike McDaniel and the Allen Iverson crossover and the utilization of 800,000 hours of tape, or whatever the heck it is at this point, and basketball tape to teach receivers like Andrew Hawkins back with the Cleveland Browns, who talked about how McDaniel created releases that never let them get jammed in an entire season, all that good stuff. The question was posed to Wes Welker about the parallels between different sports and and I think that that question maybe didn't really get answered that well in terms of what you're looking for, but I thought the answer gave us something else great, just in terms of how the Dolphins and Wes Welker himself views the job of the receiver and how important it is to win at the release at the line of scrimmage.
2: Yeah, I I, I think a lot of that's from uh, all the clips and all the tape that we've gotten over the years, and and um, you know different examples. Um, you know where the DB is. Is he soft? Is he softer on the on the press, or is he more uh, on his toes? Um, you know, there's there's so many different things that um, you can teach it till you're blue in the face type deal. Um, but players start to understand exactly what you're talking about as far as you know. You always want to keep uh, the DB, where his hands can almost touch you, but he can't you get too tight he gets hands on you you're too far away he can still recover and and um be able to uh get hands on you so um it, it's uh it's one of those deals but I, as far as parallels I mean I think basketball is one that you always kind of talk about I'm sure there's plenty others that have come up um over whether it's one play or this, it's kind of like this or it's kind of like you know whatever it is um, you know, always trying to use, uh, you know, parallels or whatever it is to um, make it where the guys understand what you're saying. So um, it is used a lot. I'm trying to think of specific examples that can't come to mind.
1: Next, coach was asked about how the Bills limited Tyreek and Jalen in the game and if the Dolphins felt that way and how you might get a chance to improve um, their production going forward. Again, more good stuff from Wes here who talks about looks you get and how you have to be, as we've heard from McDaniel, from Tua, you have to be on your stuff. In order to execute, when you get the favorable looks that you are looking for, really all week long.
2: One of those games where, you know, we, we really needed to play really good complementary football um, across the board, and um, you know, with with the Bills, it's um, it's almost like a guessing game: are they blitzing to stop the run, or are they dropping everybody back trying to play coverage? Um, so you get caught in a lot of those scenarios of. All right. Well, what are they going to do here? Well, all right. They're right. We're wrong. You know, we're right. They're right. You know, so it was kind of like a chess match in those uh, regards. But um, you know, Buffalo did a heck of a job and and um, you know being able even when they were trying to stop the run, maybe we had a pass play and we didn't execute the right way, or maybe they were in coverage and they were able to stop the run more than they should have. You know, different things like that. Of everybody getting on the same page and everybody being on their jobs and. And um, what they need to do when when the opportunity presents itself as far as the look that we're getting against the defense, we have to take advantage. And uh, Buffalo did a great job of – of limiting us uh, when, when those uh, situations came up.
1: And last one here from coach, he was asked about the giants approach and how much more man coverage they play than other teams. And you guys heard that on the preview podcast with Wink Martindale, Blitz happy, happy uh, man coverage heavy from this giants defense. Do you have to change your approach? Well, coach says no, because we always work on beating man coverage from day one, all the way through day 365.
2: Anytime you're talking about the receiver position or um, any position for that matter, um, but especially man coverage for receivers, like that's something that you're working all the time. That is an off-season thing. That is uh, through training camp, through everything. You are always talking about man coverage because at the end of the day, it's going to come down to a third and five, third and whatever it is, and you have to be able to beat man coverage. So, um, you know, a lot of that goes without saying, but it's definitely an emphasis. Um, they play a lot of cover zero. Um, being ready for, all right, do you see the look? Do you understand the look? Do you see what it looks like? Because if you're on your stuff, it's a chance for a house call. And if you're not, it can be a, a really bad play for us. So um, all those different things, making sure they see those looks, understand the looks, and, and then how to execute it accordingly
1: um, to what, what we're seeing in front of us. So there you go. That's Wes Welker and Frank Smith. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there, and then we have a brief third segment. Just going to come back and pick the games in week number five. It's been a lucrative picking season for your boy. Let's do that next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Let's go ahead and get right into the week five NFL picks. It has been a good season for you, boy. 47 and 17 on the season. I think I'm at 11 and 12 wins every single week so far, which typically this is the feeling out period. Perhaps all that, you know, all the the reason you lift all the weights in the summertime, the reason you watch all that tape in the summertime is get your picks at 47 and 17. Let's go ahead and do week five. We have 14 games this week, two or rather 4 bye bi-weeks, I should say, and it starts tonight on Thursday Night Football. (laughs) I'm going to watch it anyways. Give me the Commanders over the Bears. I just think things are really bad right now in Chicago, and I actually think the Commanders are going to be a team that contends for the playoffs this year. Give me Washington on Thursday Night Football. In London, I hope it's the Jags, but I'm not picking anybody to be Buffalo right now, much less the Jaguars. Give me the Buffalo Bills in that one. The Dolphins over the Giants. You heard Wednesday's podcast. You know why. Give me the Texans over the Falcons. Like, I was trying to temper my excitement and my expectations regarding C.J. Stroud. I thought he was going to be the best quarterback in this class. I thought he was going to be one of the best quarterbacks of the last few classes going back to 2020. And I thought that the, the Texans' offensive line would be a reason why they couldn't have success the last couple of weeks because this guy's passing for the fourth most yards in the NFL despite being down four of his five starters on the offensive line. He is great. He's going to be the next big thing. Give me the Texans over a Falcons offense that just cannot get anything going with a quarterback of their own that they should think about maybe moving on from. Give me the Lions over the Panthers. I think there's not much description there. Uh, One good team, one not good team. The Titans over the Colts. This is a big matchup here in the AFC South. And the Colts have had issues, you know, falling behind in games, keeping Richardson upright for an entire game. I think the Titans' ability to you know, pressure him and move him off his spot and force him into some bad decisions on defense could give their offense enough to get over the hump here against the Colts and win a big game in the AFC South. Give me the Patriots over the Saints. I don't love this pick either way, but I think the Patriots bounce back big after a victory or after a, a I should say a humiliating loss on the road in Dallas. Come back home and get Bill Belichick his 300th win in Foxborough. Give me the Ravens over the Steelers. I just don't think the Steelers offense has any life or juice right now and despite the fact that their defense can be good, I think the offense really makes it tough for the entire team to enjoy success. Kind of like the Jets up in New York. Give me Baltimore to get to 4-1 and one here. Give me the Eagles over the Rams. I mean, that pass rush against that offensive line, Good night, nurse. Give me the Bengals over the Cardinals in a game they have to have. Give me the Broncos over the Jets in a game that is that I think it's a four o'clock kickoff right I really want to watch that game although we'll be in the uh, post-game radio booth doing the show there but I would love to watch the Hackett Bowl here give me the Broncos to uh, you know stand up for their coach I suppose behind um, Russell Wilson I I just don't trust Zach Wilson to do anything so give me the Broncos over the Jets give me the Chiefs over the Vikings to keep on rolling in that one And then the best game of the week, maybe of the year so far, Niners over the Cowboys. I'm really conflicted here because it's in San Francisco. And the fact that the Niners kind of have the Cowboys number the last couple of years in the playoffs give me the home team. And then Monday night, what are we doing with the schedule here? Packers and Raiders give me Green Bay to bounce back after a rough one last week. Those are your week five picks, 47 and 17. Let's go ahead and keep that rolling here. And let's go ahead and get out of here for this podcast tomorrow. Very special guest on the show. Raheem Mostert joins me here in studio. We'll talk to him about his foundation, his event coming up next week here in Davie. We'll also talk about... Uh, his second year in the offense, playing under coach Mike McDaniel and how much fun it is to play for this team. Really good interview. You don't want to miss that one. Plus Kyle Krabs, his five minutes on Dolphins draft and much, much more on the Friday episode. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL, the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out my guys Seth and Juice in the postgame show, but also on the Fish Tank. Uh, they have Drew Bledsoe on Fish Tank Iconic coming up. Don't miss that for the Washington State fans out there. Also on the YouTube channel, media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, Daddy's coming home.